Welcome to Pure Hustle Podcast. I'm Mike. And this is Orlando, and we are on episode 34. What do you got for episode I don't, 34? I, I don't have anything. It's just 34. Here, how about I pose a question, and then you answer. What do you what, mean? What do you have for 34? I, I don't have I have I don't have 34 questions if that's what you're asking. No, I but just, I do have a good amount of questions. I was I was introducing the fact that this is our question and answer. Well, if it was, see, we should have done something for like 24. You know, like the Jack Bauer. Episode. We did. Did we really? Yeah, it, dude, dude, like we did oh, the whole heartbeat right. intro and everything. Oh my goodness! You know mm-hmm. what? They all begin a blur now, right? Are you feeling that? Like a little bit. Yeah. Like people ask me, and I usually want to say, "Hey, listen to podcast episode," and I can't remember anymore. Just say, "Listen to the podcast." <laughs> you just listen to the podcast. Listen to the podcast. Listen to all of it. So this is going to be an interesting episode. And I will say it's going to be interesting because we're going to go, be going through a bunch of questions. And these are questions that were created by the IG community. We had a few stories. We had a few feeds. And you sent us questions you had. And so some of these are going to be questions that, you know, those that are new are going to really, you know, grasp onto. And those that are experienced, some of these are going to go like, oh, I already know. But, you know, it still may be worth it because there may be something you catch. But we have a little disclaimer, don't we? Um, I'm sure we do. What's our disclaimer? Hey, what happened to your paper? Oh, did you give me one? I did. Oh. <laughs> we usually have an outline. Okay. Oh, man. All right. So here's the thing. So, Mike, how, how much do you think you know about reselling? Um. Absolutely nothing. Okay. <laughs> a little bit. A little bit. Like, Well, you know a little more than you did at in late June. Yeah, I'm always growing. I'm a lifelong learner. Okay. And I'm kind of, I'm not in the same place, but I'm also at a place where, you know, we talked about this so many times. The longer I'm doing this, the less I feel I know. That's true. Yep. Right? So we're not gurus, right? I don't think. No, not. I would, I would hope not. <laughs> Is anybody ever a guru, do you think? I um, pondered that. You know, I mean, there's the... Um, I, I don't actually have a quote of the week for this week, but I have oh, wow. something that that is like a, a a general rule that people talk about a lot that many of our listeners probably know about. But there's this idea like the ten thousand rule. Have you the ten thousand hour rule? Have you heard of that? Yes, I have. Okay. It's from a it's from a book. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm sure there's a book that that talked about that, but that's been it's been something that's kind of been talked about for a while. Um, and they use like the Beatles as an example and several other like musicians. And essentially, the idea is in order to become an expert at something, you have to dedicate 10,000 hours of your life towards it. Um, and that's to be like at the quote unquote expert level. And if you think about it, that's, that's a significant that's amount a of time. a lot of time. I don't even know what that looks like, but, and, and it has to be like just effort. According to what I know, it's from this book, Grit. That is, that's one of the books that talks about. But it. you know, in, in that book, uh, Angela Duckworth, who, who wrote the book, she researched MIT grads, Olympians, movie stars, violinists, uh, people at West Point, and yeah, ultimately the reason that a lot of those people are able to get to the next level was because of their passion and their perseverance, not necessarily because their talent. Mm. I mean, that yeah. played a part. Yeah, that's true. And but, but it's the ten thousand hours that, that play the there's role. There's something. There's something like cognitively with with our minds of of re- repetition for a certain amount of time or doing. I feel something. like we're doing an education podcast right now. No, but I, I think it goes on with what we're talking about. Like, you might be you might feel like you know a lot of things. I'm sure that um, a lot of our listeners out there know a ton of stuff, probably way more stuff than I know. More than I know. Um, and so I think though there's something to be said about like you're always learning because even even once you get to that 10,000 hours in reselling, you can't fully be an expert unless you, 
part of that 10,000 hours is recognizing that you constantly have to add more hours because trends change and platforms change. and so Bolos it, change. Yeah, you, you, it, it's a constant growth. So, um, yeah, some things will be very elementary, basic level, probably question and answers, and some might be a little more advanced, so that's good. Um, which brings to the idea, if, you've, if, if we aren't answering your specific question, it might be because you didn't send it to us. So if you've got questions, let us know. We'd love to maybe yeah, in the in future the have another Q&A. Um, or yeah, ask questions in the comments. We've got or, a great community. Yeah. They will jump in and answer. Agreed. And I also was thinking if there's something, and here's the thing you and I have learned a lot being on social media is that everyone always knows better than you, mm. right? We keep joking about that, but it's true. Like, And sometimes it is that they know better or sometimes it's just they know differently, mm. right? So some things we may suggest and throw out there, it may not be the best model for you, right? It may not be the right solution for you. So if you have something you'd like to share, go ahead in the comments below. We'd love to hear from you. That would be, you know, be incredible because we've learned a lot from, you know, our listeners on the podcast, our viewers on YouTube, those that follow us on Instagram and Facebook. It's been great. So with all that being said, I'm just hoping that we're able to help a lot of you at least get started in the right direction. Or if you've been doing this for a while, maybe bring a bond, yes, bring a bond, bring upon something different that you haven't thought about. I like it. Are you ready for the, these questions? Let's do it. All right. Do we have Jeopardy music playing in the back? We don't. We don't. No. I keep waiting for these sound effects. Like, remember our Hustle of the Week sound effect? No. Okay. <laughs> You're like, I don't know about that. You know, I think... What I, my feeling is, I'd like our listeners to make the sound effects in their mind, because then it involves them in the in the process. You know, like imagination. Use your Mike imagination. never surpri- ceases to surprise me. He always has some random thought like that. I don't even want to thought of that. That's right. So okay, number one, what are our thoughts on Funnel Guru or Amazon on gating services? Hmm. Now this could have been. Do you know what this is about? Do you know what this question is asking? Yeah, generally, yeah. What do you think it's at? I mean, I don't, I don't use uh, Amazon. Isn't a platform I've jumped into 100 at this point, uh, but I know there are services or people who have suggestions or ways that they think that that will help you get ungated in in certain categories. Okay, because um, I mean, honestly, I, I as a, a somebody who tried Amazon a little bit and I need to to try again, um, that was immediate frustration. I would say probably one of the first things I ran to on Google was how do I get ungated, right? So Did you actually Google it? Oh, for sure. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, and and here's the thing. I don't have a specific answer for that program. And I don't think it was that program that sent that question to get their name out on this podcast. At least mm-hmm. I hope not. If you did, that was pretty sly. But <laughs> here's, here's my thoughts about ungating. So there's two ways to look at this, right? We always talk about like our content will always be free. Right? Are we willing to accept donations and sponsorships? Sure, always. But we're not going to charge you know, services to listen more to the podcast or to be able to get a phone call with us and so on. And the reason we say that is because there's plenty out there already. Mm. Right? There's already experts in certain things. So sometimes pain is like a shortcut. Mm. Right? I could say, hey, go watch 100 hours of YouTube and you'll get your answer. Mm. Or you can pay you know, $100, 200 or 1000 whatever it is. But here, here's what I've learned in my own, I'm talking about my own experience, is that sometimes things that are being offered are already there for you. You just didn't mm. know about it. Yeah. You know, like we've talked about the auto-approve on Amazon, mm-hmm. right? So I've gone, you know, on some FBA trips with other resellers and they didn't know they were, they thought they were restricted. They did, went to the add a product on Amazon Seller Central they clicked on seeking approval or for whatever that button is, submit for approval, and they've been auto-approved. 
Now, a service could have charged somebody and said, hey, here's some, you know, some SKUs or here's some UPCs to put in to get approved. When the reality is that was already there for you. Does that make mm, sense? It's true. So there's that end. But there's also the other end where these kind of companies can connect you with, let's say, a distributor who can get you invoices that can get you ungated. So it's kind of what you're willing to do. I will say always be careful uh, with these kind of services because unless you know somebody directly that can vouch for it, I don't know. I'm kind of hesitant, right? Yeah, yeah I agree. And I think, I think that's one of the beautiful things with, with social media is um, – there are so not just social media in general, but but the internet is one. There's tons of free information out there. You pretty much can get any information you're looking for for free. Uh, it might take a little bit of digging and searching and and kind of learning the best way and and putting some of that some of those hours in to get towards that ten thousand hours, right? Of just doing it's research. A lot of hours. Um, but you know, I, one of the beautiful things about the internet is there's so many reviews and people who can give you know, some, some feedback on this was good or this wasn't good or this worked and this didn't work. Um, and so yeah, be wise. Don't just, if something looks like it might be too good to be true, it might be too good to be true. Um, and if there's a lot of people who, you know, can vouch for it and then maybe you can say like, okay, I trust these people. It seems to be somewhat credible. I, I just think there's no substitute for hard work. No, I agree. I agree. And we're not, you know, this program, we're not, we have no opinion on it. Yeah. I've never even I, heard of that I'm, one. I never so. heard of that one. I've heard of others, but Again, I would always say, you know, so Mike and I, we really wanted to, we could get a, you know, a lot of people to write good reviews about the podcast, right? Just like get our friends, hey, write us a review, right? Mm. And so you can do that with a lot of things, right? And so this is what I'm saying. It's, you know, find someone who has used these services. And then if they tell you, hey, you know what? And don't go with just one opinion. You got to get a few. And if you have a few people that are consistently saying, you know what? It definitely was worth it. Then maybe it's worth a shot. Yeah. You know, so just something to think about. Hey, which in some ways makes me feel good that that we were asked about that because maybe you were one of those sources that you feel is credible and hoping that we had some experience with um with that specific program. Unfortunately, we don't, so we wouldn't feel comfortable saying one way or the other on it. Yeah, we're just a tried and true like the best way to get engaged is just consistent metrics over time. I would say in any brand. So Okay, I think we got that one. Yeah, that's right. good stuff. Okay. Next question. All right, so I should ask you this question. So I don't have the questions in front of me, I, so I'm I just going to take your word for it. What's summer reselling look like? Oh, it's amazing. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, no, wait, I'm just wait, kidding. Wait, I'm let kidding. Me, I'm, let me get to the I rest know, of the I question. remember the question. I remember this one. Outerwear and boots uh-huh. okay, are their go-to. So they're, they're probably wondering, like, are they going to have to see, see the same sales? So my question to you is, Mike, you experienced summer right off the bat as a new seller. So what's your, what was your experience? Um, okay, so we've talked about this a little bit in, in previous podcasts. Um, I, d- I don't know if my first summer of reselling is going to be an indication of what all of my summers of reselling are going to look like. Um, one of the things I think I had going for me was I was naive. Right, I didn't go into reselling with any kind of set idea of what types of products I should be selling, what the hot ticket items were. I just went into reselling with, I looked at every single item at a garage sale and at a thrift store, and I looked it up on eBay, and mm-hmm. if it was selling for money, I bought it. So I didn't have something I was looking for. I wasn't looking for a specific brand of shoes. I was not looking for a specific brand of coats. I was just looking for anything that would sell. 
And I think and that's true. I think that's one of the reasons I did so well in the summer was I was picking up the most random stuff, but I saw comps that were selling for money that nobody else was looking at. So I think when it comes to summer, um, especially if your specific niche, as it were, is outerwear and, and um, you know, boots and things like that, is don't be afraid to try other things and and think outside the box a little bit. I mean, I sold I sold random workout equipment. I sold random knickknacks. I sold you know, just the duck most decoys, duck de- uh, the most bizarre skin things. caliper. Yeah. Just bizarre stuff. And it, it just was a matter of, I looked it up and there were comps. And if you want to hear more of that, it's in our very first podcast, actually, you know, it's funny because before we did the podcast, we did like this ride along. It was like, I think it was one of the more epic ride alongs we've ever had because we hit all these garage shows and then we hit thrift stores right after. Yeah. And seriously, I was grabbing completely different items than Mike was grabbing. Yeah, you had a set like I mean, because you've been doing this so long, and I, I mean, I, I was a little intimidated. We we were, I watched you go down a rack of clothes, and you were just like ching 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 ching, looking at the brand labels, and I'm like looking at them, and I'm holding them up to you, like, what about this brand? And you're like, no. I'm like, okay. What about this brand? And you're like, no. So like, you knew what you were looking for, and I think I think the fact that I was so naive in a lot of ways caused me to be slow. I probably missed a lot of the bread and butter items, but I found a lot of items that that were just unique and different and cool. So yeah, I would say for you, if there's probably a lot of people who are, their model looks very different. So instead of boots and outerwear, they're selling flip flops and, you know, sun care or, or beach items. I don't know. Things that summers there. But time. just remember it's winter somewhere, right? Whether it's Australia, whether it's another part of the world, I sell a lot of coats in the summer and a lot of boots still. Mm. So it doesn't mean that it's going to go away. You may have to be strategic more in your sourcing or, you know, how you're listing or you may have to promote items, but definitely you got to think things through as far as, you know, what is the best way to market those items, but you're definitely able to still make those sales. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So best of luck in the summer. Best of, hopefully you get mic luck. Yeah. Mike, listen to the first two podcasts. It's like out of nowhere, like the sales that Mike was making right away. It's just yeah. crazy. Luck has absolutely nothing to do with it. It's just hard work. It was hard work. Remember, enough hard work, you land an opportunity. That's my quote of the podcast. Nice. There you go. Okay. All right. Pirate ship question. I feel like we're spokespersons for pirate ship because we keep talking about it. But somebody had asked us about uh, media mail and pirate ship. And I contacted pirate ship directly. Really easy. Yes, you can do media mail on pirate ship. That was the question. But it's like any kind of media mail, right? Do you know how to do a media mail shipping? I mean, I've shipped quite a few things through media mail. Did you use eBay tape? For media mail? Yeah. No. Okay. Why not? I don't, you just didn't have any? I, yeah, I, I, I use regular tape. I only okay. use eBay tape to decorate boxes that are like Frito-Lay boxes or stuff like that. <laughs> but And that's the thing. So all you have to do, go, just type in Google, Pirate Ship Media Mail, and it'll tell you exactly. It's the same rules, right? You have to make sure that it's media and uh, you're not advertising anything on the outside. All right. So I'm not sure eBay tape is okay. And if it is okay, let us know in the comments. But, you know, I, I'm I'm pretty sure they don't want anything advertised when it's media mail. Mm. But it's definitely doable. Pirate Ship, again, you can integrate it with your eBay. And the way you do it on Pirate Ship, it's real simple. And you can just Google this and find this out, is you have to make sure that when you're purchasing the postage on Pirate Ship, you open the extra services area. And that's below the dimensions and the weight. And then there's this thing that says uh, qualifies for media mailing. You check it, and then it'll take you for the rest of the way. So that's pretty easy. Easy peasy. All right, next question. 
what are some of the risks associated with selling Amazon FBA? Oh, that's a good question. So what scares you a little bit before I start talking about it? Um, you know, I think just recognizing that Amazon, it's a different game. You know, we've talked about this before. Uh, eBay, eBay is, is it's simple. You can sell anything. The restrictions aren't as severe. Um, there's, I don't know, it just seems like the, the consequences for a mistake aren't as high, right? It's from what I gather from Amazon, if, if things go wrong, um, a few negative feedbacks, a few claims against you for various reasons, even if it's stuff that's not your fault, um, it, it could potentially end with like a banned or um, suspended Suspension. account. Yeah. And uh, if that is if that becomes your main source of income, I think I would live a little bit in fear of, okay, like when is this going to happen? When are my metrics? Yeah. When are my metrics going to, going to, if they fall into the wrong position and and things go out of whack, am I, is my money gone? It'd be like the fear of losing your job almost. Okay. No. And, and I think it's all very real. Right. And I will, I will be very clear. Like Amazon should not be your only income stream. That's just my opinion. Mm. It just shouldn't because if you get suspended and you're making a ton of money on Amazon, you know, you're going to have to either, you know, there's programs out there where they help you get unsuspended. Sometimes people have to get attorneys. I mean, it, it's, it's not like eBay, like you said. And yeah, can you be suspended on eBay? Sure. But Amazon, I would say, is very strict and they're very unforgiving, even if it's their fault. Mm. Think about that. They are unforgiving, even if there's fault. So let me give you a few examples. So Amazon is very clear that when you send in items and you list them like new, they have to be new. Like they can't have. Well, yeah, I mean, you're listing something. No, no, no. But, you know, sometimes people are like, oh, it has a little nick Mm. or it has a little crease or, you know, there's something. And on eBay, you can list something as new. And then in the, you know, in the little description, go new and then box has somewhere. Please see pictures. Okay. Yeah. So like a, a, a. Maybe a box that has a dent in it. Or yeah, like you that. could get away with it. On Amazon, you could, quote unquote, get away with it, but the hammer gets dropped. Mm. When the hammer drops, it drops, mm. right? Or you get an IP claim or an infringing claim. And and so some of the other things about Amazon, too, is it's a lot more competitive. And I think this is one thing that a lot of people don't talk about is that, you know, Amazon, you know, the rank guarantees you the sale. But one of the risks that you need to take a look at is how many people are you competing against to make that sale? Now, you could say the same with eBay, but at least on eBay, I guess there's the unknown, like you don't know. Mm. Right now, if you do see a lot of items that haven't sold on eBay and barely any that have sold, that should tell you that it's pretty saturated. I probably don't want to move on this item. On Amazon, there's ways to find out how many items a person has and you can determine whether you want to buy it. But still, you don't know, like within the week, somebody can come in with, you know, a whole wholesale order mm. and totally throw you out of the mix and drop the price. And the other risk is that Amazon is your main competitor. Yeah. And Amazon can do what it wants. And I talked about this, I think, two or three podcasts ago, where they can hold the buy box as long as they want, mm. even if they don't have the item. So you're, you're definitely playing in their sandbox. And here's the last risk I'll talk about because I don't want to go too much into it. Because I do love Amazon. Amazon is a great vehicle to scale. But Amazon customer service for a seller is, I think, one of the most terrible things I've ever witnessed in my entire life. You know, for example, you know, 
there's certain removals of feedback I've tried to remove, even though it wasn't my fault. Amazon opened, you know, the case opened and they said, nope, it doesn't fall under the guidelines and that's it. You can't appeal. It's not like eBay where you can call like the second or third or fourth person and maybe you'll get somebody on your side. Mm. Right. And also on Amazon, if they tell you to contact, you know, Seller Central, I've sent multiple emails in the past and never heard back. Mm. Ever. I mean, think about that. Never heard back. I didn't even get a template email back. So just things you got to think about. Like if you're going to play with Amazon, like you just got to exactly know what Amazon asks you to do and you got to do it. Mm. You got to be above reproach on every single item that you send. So there yeah. you go. Yeah. I mean, that's good stuff. I think too, another thing you didn't mention um, that, that's a little bit just concerning for me is, is the idea of, of, you know, storage fees and, you know, things are going to be there mm-hmm. and how long are you going to be paying for that? One nice thing with eBay is you're storing it, which is also a negative, right? Because you have to store it. Um, you have to pay for a store for eBay. If you want to, if you're going to be selling a lot on Amazon, you have to pay for an Amazon seller account. And if you're not selling enough items and that's kind of money wasted. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, there's, there's a few other things to kind of think about with that too. Um, and I'm just going to add one, one other thing really quick, which I was is trying this, to be succinct, but this is, uh, well, this is totally changing the subject slightly. So I'm not going to, okay. I'm not going to hang on this, but All I right. feel like I totally did a disservice on the last episode when we were talking about the 20% on Poshmark. Oh, okay. okay. So, wait, you're pushing Poshmark again? Yeah, well, I'm not pushing Poshmark, but this is just something I think that we have to consider when it comes to that fee difference. There is no store cost on Poshmark. Oh, that is true. That is very true. Right. So that's I, I think if you were to like look at numbers and um, you know the fact that you're not paying for a store, whereas on Amazon you're paying for a seller account, which is actually pretty reasonably priced, right? It's about forty dollars, something like that. Yeah, and we'll talk about that later on. It's one of our questions, yeah. but yeah, I would say. There's a lot of perks to having an eBay store. So I, I don't know. I don't think the fee is bad for what you get no. on, on eBay. On eBay, that? I think it is. You think it's bad? Oh, yeah. To pay for a store? Well, I think I think we, you if you're selling a lot, you need a store. I think they're ripping off sellers by forcing you to buy a store. Absolutely. Oh, wow. Okay, we'll talk about that in a oh. little bit. Wow, that's the side of Mike I haven't seen about the eBay store. Okay. All right, let's go on to the next question. Uh this is a good one. Do you have better luck at Goodwill during a certain time of day? What do you think? Oh, that's interesting. Specifically Goodwill or just any thrift store? It just says Goodwill. Well, let's go any thrift store. Um, I love getting there when they first open because they've stocked stuff and nobody's been in there yet. So I think there's that. I I, I tend to do pretty good. Um, and then I, I feel like they stock randomly throughout the day. So it's just, it's luck of the draw, right? Are you getting there when, when the little cart's coming out with new stuff? And mm-hmm. so I, I think that's, that's exactly it. So I have one store and you know, what's what I'm talking about. Like mm. I love going there right before the close, mm. right? Because the stuff is out there for the next day, but they haven't put it out really. Mm. Right. So it's out there in the, in the bins. And so no one's really looked through it. So I know that store, like key time for me to go is right before closing. Mm. Right. There could be another store and, you know, they, they restock in the middle of the day. Right. Right. So I think it's more of a general, like you have to understand the patterns of stores. And some people do that. There are some people that have Excel spreadsheets and they plan out when they're going to go to certain stores based on what they've learned over time. That's intense. Isn't that? That's intense. But again, if you want to maximize what you're doing, like that's one of the ways to do it. So I don't think I agree with you. I don't think it's a exact time. Like, 
I'm not a fan of going first thing in the morning for certain stores because, you know, no one's done anything to the store. It's the same way it was the night before. And the night before, it was all picked over. Mm. Right. But other stores, you know, they get their employees to be there two hours early and they're restocking in the morning. So mm. you just got to learn the pattern of your stores. I think I think that kind of settles that one. Yeah. So the best time to go to um, your Goodwill is the best time for that Goodwill. Yeah, exactly. That's a great, it's so vague, but it's so true. <laughs> so 100% agree. All right. Oh, dropship. We talked about a little bit about dropshipping last we podcast. Did, yeah. A couple of podcasts we've Was it a couple? Of, has it been a couple? Well, last one we did and a few before we yeah. talked about it too. Yeah, I think so dropshipping goes in waves. Dropshipping was big, I want to say a couple of years ago, and then it kind of faded a little bit. Mm-hmm. And now it's big again, but it's, you know, now eBay has banned certain kinds of dropshipping. So this kind of relates to this question. Somebody said they see a lot of advertising about dropshipping, and they asked, is it all BS? Like Burrito Supreme. Mm. So, I like burritos. I think that's what they meant. Yep. Okay, so I don't know. How do you feel about dropshipping? Um, man, I we talked about it a little bit last time. It's it's I think I think there's positives to it and I think there's negatives to it. I think it depends on your your method. I think dropshipping is a very broad term that can be used for for different modes of 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 selling and doing stuff. So I don't know. Um, I'm interested with this idea of people advertising. I think if you're advertising to get people to like teach, not necessarily teach people how to drop ship, but like join my drop shipping program and we'll send you a kit and you could start your own drop shipping. That to me sounds a little shady. Um, it reminds me of like, you know, when you look in a newspaper back in the day and it would be like an advertisement that's like, you know, send 20 bucks and we'll teach you how to make, you know, $50 an hour. And then you send 20 bucks. And I know this because my dad did this. Um, he sent the money. And literally the response he got was, if you want to make money, all you have to do is take out an advertisement in a newspaper that says, seen learn how to make money yeah. and just put your phone number and address for them to send money to. He actually did it. Well, he he, he did the, the initial purchase and then he realized like, this is messed up and didn't do any more after that. So I'm not hundred percent sure if that's what this is with the advertising of drop shipping, but I, I don't know why anybody would advertise a drop shipping. Um, well, it's to make money. Well, right. But like, it, it, is it like they have a service that like, Hey, is it just like, I'm going to teach you to drop ship or is it like, here's, here's a drop shipping program or a drop sh- shipping service that you can use? Like what, what specifically is being advertised? Cause I think that's, that makes all the difference. Yeah. And the key thing to remember about this is, and we said this earlier in the podcast today, was that whenever you're paying for something, you got to see what you're paying for, like you just said. Are you paying to get a shortcut to learn something so you're not going to have to spend all this time figuring it out? You know, and the other part of it, is it going to be safe over time? Right. And and like Amazon, I keep saying like Amazon's great. I don't know how much, how long are we going to be doing FBA at the scale that we're doing. Because you talk to people that did Amazon in 2015, they'll tell you it was a whole different world in 2015 than it is now. Mm. eBay is the same way. And now with eBay, you know, you know, kind of ending drop shipping for the most part for a lot of people, like you got to think about that. Now there's drop shipping to Amazon and so on. But there's two things I wanted to share here. One is, you know, there is a and I, I don't remember where it's at. And if I ever find it, there was a story that said. A lot of people that sell dropshipping courses, the way they make money is not through dropshipping, it's through selling the courses. Yep. Yep. And you see that all over Instagram. A lot of people that 
are resellers. They're not making money mainly from the reselling. They're making money from what they're selling. Mm. Like if, for instance, a course or a group or whatever it is. So you got to, you know, got to be leery of that. But the other side is there are people that are making money with dropshipping, but there's a lot of risk with dropshipping. You know, there's the risk of where are you getting your inventory from, right? If you're doing something like listing something on eBay and dropshipping using Amazon, eh, you're going to get yourself in a mess if you get caught, right? Or if you're dropshipping from China, you're going to have delayed shipments and mm-hmm. you're going to have a feedback issue on eBay. And so I, to me, you know, if you can find a way to avoid a lot of the risk, Sure. If if the course, you know, is able to, you know, give you some kind of money back guarantee or something, and there isn't a super, you know, two font print that tells you that that's not guaranteed, then, you know, maybe it's worth looking into. I just, you know, you just got to, there's a lot out there and there's some drop it shipping courses that are great that I've heard about. And then there's some that are just out there to sell you a course. Mm. So I know that was vague again, but that's kind of where we land on some of these things. Yeah, no, that's good. And I think I think there's so much out there, like we said, that's free. The hard part is you've got to wade through a lot of stuff that's not good information to sometimes to find the good information, True. which is why, I mean, we've got YouTube, which obviously we're on and we, we appreciate and support and we think it's great. And there's great content that's put out on YouTube. And then you get programs like, um, what's it, lynda.com. I think it, they got bought out by LinkedIn where you pay for the service, but you're getting... Only the video, the only videos that are being posted on there are like from certified experts who 100% know what they're talking about. Like not just okay. anybody can create content. So there's the sense of I'm paying for the service, but I'm the service I'm paying for is to guarantee the content I'm getting is from experts in the field, not from you know somebody who's just hoping or, or has their own idea about something. So I think that's one of the things you have to consider. What are you paying for? What's the service you're paying for? Is it hey? All this information I could teach you is out there. It's available for free. It's nothing new, but here's my certifications. I can, you don't have to spend hours and hours looking for it. I think there's something to be said for that. Um, yeah. It's just so hard in the recently world. It's kind of like Amazon numbers or eBay numbers. Like you don't know what the cost of goods mm-hmm. are. You don't know what the fees were. You don't know if they did promoted listings. You don't know if they did pay-per-click on, you know, Amazon. Like there's just so many variables. So yeah, you just got to be careful. Mm. So that's a good point though. All right, back another Amazon. This is an easy one. I'll just answer this really quick. Somebody had asked, you know, when on when doing Amazon, should I use my personal account or make up a new account to sell? So this is what I will say is from my understanding is Amazon tracks IP addresses. So if they see multiple IP addresses being used to create different seller accounts, you know, it, it ends up, you know, you get in trouble with Amazon unless you're a big seller. That's to my knowledge. If I'm wrong, let us know in the comments. Whether you should use your personal account, most likely they're going to want to unless you have like some kind of business like an LLC or escort, something that you've established that is separate from you. Interesting. I had the opposite experience. Um, okay. I had I had an account, uh, I mean, my personal account that I've had Prime with for, I don't know, like the last nine years. Well, I haven't had Prime that long, but maybe pretty close to that. Six years I've had Prime. Um and so when I first went to go list something, which was just like a college textbook, uh, like a year ago before I started reselling, they wouldn't let me do it. My seller account on that account had been closed because I had not sold anything for X amount of time. Okay. You have a short limited time. And so I actually called customer service um, and they told me that 
you know, you only have a, a window of six months or however long it is to sell something on an account. Okay. And then they shut down the seller account portion of it. At least they did for mine. Um, and I was required to open up a new account. And as I was opening up that account, it asked for different information, tax information, stuff like that. So you might be required to create a separate account. Um, that's not like your purchasing account. So yeah, it all depends. I mean, again, that, that I'm just, <laughs> I feel terrible because we're just speaking out of experience. Mm. Uh, I I do know some some people that try to create multiple accounts and they end up getting suspended. Was it multiple seller accounts? Yeah. Okay. I think that's a different thing. So yeah, if so it's your you're personal about account, personal seller. Yeah. So maybe. And again, if you really want to know, I would try to call Amazon yeah. if they'll answer the phone. Hey, they're from my experience, they're really good to new resellers. I, I see. If you don't know, Mike had a conference call with Amazon. I, I just, I've never even experienced that ever. They were so nice. And I've been selling on Amazon, I want to say it's been eight years. It's that hook, man. It's the hook. I think they're like, ooh, a new seller. Got to hook them in. <laughs> All right. Let's go to our next question here. Uh, that wasn't as easy as I thought it'd be, by the way. So it's okay. It's complexity to this. It is. See? You, you, we, neither of us are expert on anything. Well, we're trying to be real. Yeah. Like, that's the thing, right? Real, relevant, reselling. All right. Number, uh, next one. Is there a way to get reseller insurance with a group rate? What does everyone do about insurance? All right. So this is a tough one, okay? Now, on eBay, I, there is no requirement as far as having insurance. Is it a good idea? It depends how big of a seller you are. Now, on Amazon, if you have a pro account, Amazon does require one, but Amazon has not done any kind of audit looking if you have insurance, okay? So it's an insurance, you know, you have to have a certain amount and you have to, you know, you protect yourself against lawsuits and so on. Amazon has to be part of it and so on. But there really, you know, there isn't, excuse me, there hasn't been a follow through on checking up on individuals. Hmm. Do I think it's a good idea? Yeah. I mean, if it's something that Amazon wants you to have, I do. But I will tell you, you know, it, it's kind of hard. So there's, I'm going to refer to uh, another a YouTube channel that kind of had talked about this and I thought they did a good job. So if if you go to YouTube and on YouTube, you go to Side Hustle Pros and just type in Side Hustle Pros Insurance, you're going to find this video uh, that they put and they actually talk to someone who runs e-com insurance. And so they provide insurance if you sell on eBay, on Amazon, you know, Jet, Etsy, whatever it is, they provide insurance if you're an influencer, all kinds of different insurance. So that's all I can really say on that. Mm. Uh, that's a really hard one. But, you know, nowadays, you know, we live in this very litigious society. Maybe it's not a bad idea. As far as group rate, I don't know. That, that's just a hard one. Maybe we should start our own. Like we could pull together and start an insurance. And here's the thing you got to remember about insurance is that you can insure anything, right? It's kind of like car rentals. Like how many times do you get offered, you know, the $20 a day, but your car insurance actually covers you still, mm. right? You got to look into what is actually being covered. So mm. anyways, that's our thought. So that's, Good you stuff. know, go to Side Hustle Pros, type in Side Hustle Pros insurance, and there should be some kind of video dealing with e-commerce insurance. Hopefully that helps. So I'm sorry that we don't have a YouTube video for that one. Maybe in the future. Maybe in the future. All right. When selling items on eBay, what's the best thing, Mike? When to list it and when to put it up? Do you do auction or do you do best offer? Oh, definitely. Uh, definitely buy it now with best offer. My first several 
things that I sold on eBay before I officially started this reselling game, as it were. Um, I remember, Business. yeah. Um, the first few things I sold were auctions. That's the only way I knew how to sell things on eBay. And I remember I sent you like a text message, like, "Oh, uh, look at these three items I sold." And you asked me, like, "Did you, did you get any offers?" And I'm like. Yeah, I sold the item, right? So I I was a little confused because I did it as auction, and I think he was confused that I sold through auction and why I didn't do buy now. I think probably most of the time now it's it's definitely definitely buy now. I think there's probably some some exceptions to that sometimes when auction might be the way to go. I don't know. Okay, so let me address the first two parts. They ask, "What is the best thing?" Don't know. Right? It all depends. You know, what is your niche? What is the current trend? You know, some people do really well with electronics. Some people do really well with shoes. That's just going to be a research. You're going to have to find what, you know, you're able to source, what you're able to, you know, get at a decent price. You know, what are you comfortable with? What are you knowledgeable in? And and I will say you got to source items, not all of it, but things that you're really interested in. Because what I find is when I source those items I don't care about, they also don't get listed either, right? And and I'm not saying go outside your comfort zone. I mean, some of my biggest sales were outside of my interests. So you still got to keep an eye, but you got to understand that you're going to have to take pictures of it. You're going to have to list it. You're going to have to pack it. You may have to answer questions about it. So that, that's just my suggestion to mm-hmm. you. And the second part about it was, you know, you know, what type of listing? And I agree with Mike. I'm always, I'm very big on buy it now with best offer Always. I do auction, but it's very rare. If it's an item that is very unique and I may get more for it or I don't know what it is, but even still, if I don't know what it is, I'll just put a super high offer and see if there's any takers and the market Mm -hmm. will decide whether it's worth what you put it up for. Yeah, that's good. So that's a tough one. So all right, next question was, how do you keep a record of Amazon flips? I'll answer this one. It's really easy. It's on Amazon Seller Central. There are so many reports. Now, it's going to take some work, but you can get reports on your returns. You can get your reports on your feedback. You can get reports on, you know, what were the orders for these months. You can get, I mean, there's all kinds of reports. And Amazon does a really great job of data keeping. You just got to be able to go through all those reports. So that's it. Okay, this gives us a good time for a break. Hey, if you haven't had a chance yet to subscribe to our YouTube channel, right now while we're recording, what are we at, 983? On YouTube? Yeah, something like that. We're getting okay. close. So we are 17 away from hitting the 1K mark. So we would love 1K. it if you subscribe to 1K, not Y2K, 1K. Yeah. Think about this. You could potentially be one of the first thousand subscribers to Pure Hustle Podcast. I mean, I love one of many multiple thousands to come. Yeah, but but yes. that's what I'm saying, right? Like down the road, who knows? We might have so many and you could be like, I was, I was under 1K. <laughs> I don't know. I'm playing what are, what on What are people going to get out of that? I mean, I don't know. I mean, there's something even to be said to being the first person to comment on a YouTube video. Oh, yeah, video. when they like, go first? Yeah, it's cool, yeah, right? No, I so, get it. So if you haven't had a chance yet, please subscribe. Hit that bell button to get notifications when the next podcast or sometimes we drop videos on certain things. Also, comment below. Hit that thumbs up. You know, that's one of the biggest keys for us to be able to get this information out there is hitting that like button. Yeah. Did and, you want to add to that? It, yeah. You had something to share about the like button last time, so just, we'll, we'll, we won't talk about it this time. We got two unlike two dislikes in the last one. That's okay. We're gonna get a lot more in the future. Yeah, that's, that's the okay. way it is. It's okay. It's part of. Does good. it hurt your feelings? No, I just 
I'm one of those people, like, I li- try to live peaceably with all men. And so, you know, when somebody doesn't like something, I'm always like, oh, like, what, you know, what was it? Okay. Have you ever been in a public bathroom before? <laughs> yes. Okay. That is the most random question. It is. But if you look at what is carved or tagged on the walls inside of so many public bathrooms or on the toilet seats, and I look at that and I think like, like how angry of a person do you have to be? No, I agree. I to agree. be like talking trash about like entire people groups or whatever in a bathroom. Like I, I don't want to be in there any longer and I have to. And there's people like with a knife carving on the seat. Like there are, there's people who are just, they're just angry. They're mean. Like, okay. you know, right, we're gonna thumbs up down. Okay. It's not too bad. No, no. If you don't like the podcast, still thumbs up. All right. Also, hey, on Instagram, we are Pierce of Podcast. We're always trying to drop some kind of knowledge on Instagram, on our, our stories. We are Pierce of Cast on Twitter. We are Pierce of Podcast on Facebook. And we also are Pierce of Podcast at gmail.com. If you have any questions for us that you want to send us an email, or you can always give us a call. You know, I'm kind of feeling lonely. We haven't gotten a lot of calls lately. Yeah, give us a call. Shoot us a call. 619-738-1170. That's 619-738-1170. So always feel free to get a hold of us. We're here for you. You know, drop us a DM. Leave us a comment. Love to hear from you. Are right, you ready to move on to the next few questions? Here? Let's do it. Okay. So, oh, FBA goals. Mike, what's your FBA goal for the year? Uh, to do it. Okay. <laughs> I think he's had the same goal since June. You were close at one time. I think at one time you really were like considering it. Okay. Yeah, I had a I had a whole box of stuff kind of ready to go. And then eBay's busy. And and you know, like I got, I mentioned last episode, I think it was just how busy life was. Yeah. Um, which you know isn't is not an excuse for everything, but you know, I know myself and the limits that I'm at. And right now, like eBay is very time consuming and I definitely need to break into FBA, but I also don't want to uh I don't want to do it too soon and 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 give up something that I'm currently am still trying to build. No, 100% agree. And, and it's one of those things you got to be good, at, I think, at one platform before jumping to the next platform. Just our opinion. So for me, FBA, this is what I'll suggest for those of you that are brand new, is get a box, get a decent-sized box. I'm a fan of the 24 by 18 by 24 boxes. And you pick up FBA items when you get a chance, whether a garage sale or a thrift store or if you're doing retail arbitrage, and you fill up that box. Once you fill up that box, then you start thinking about putting together a shipment. Now, the concern is you may get split shipments and it may not all go in that box. But at least you have some kind of measurement of where to begin. Now, personally, as my goal, so I'm trying to change my model. You know, my model right now as far as income is 70%. Amazon, 30% eBay. I'm, I'm shifting. I think right now I'm at 65, 35. I hope the math is right there. That's right. Okay. And then I eventually want to go more into eBay. I have my reasons that we talked about in other podcasts, but my goal is every week I want to send out a multiple box shipment. And I'm talking about the 24 by 18 by 24 boxes. And, you know, do I have a monetary goal? It ebbs and flows. Right. Because sometimes I have a huge score and I'll make a few thousand on a few boxes I send. Sometimes I'll make a few hundred on a couple boxes. So it all depends because reselling, especially full time, it goes in waves. Sometimes it's like, hey, let's hit the Nike store. Sometimes it's let's go to Ross. Let's go to Marshall. Sometimes it's doing an eBay to Amazon flip. It depends. But my goal for me is, you know, 
enough to pay more than the bills. Yeah, that's good. And I think too, part of that comes down to your budgeting and just financial um, model as it were in life, because it's so easy to be caught in this like week to week or month to month, like pay thing of thinking like how much you have to make each week or how much you have to make each month. But if you think of it on a, on a more macro scale of what do I need to make in the year? And if your budget is set right and you've set your model up and it might take you years to get there, but you can look at it that way and say, okay, as long as I make X amount in this year, majority of those sales, majority of that money can come from a few months. It could be your Q4 time, like most retail businesses, right? They're, they're not running profit for most of the year. So um, just recognizing that, that, that you might have a couple of months that are lower and then a couple of months that are huge. But if you're looking at the macro level, it averages out over time. Well, yeah. And I would say as, as a part-time reseller, definitely doable that way. You know, I, I, I don't remember being, I don't like using the word stress, but feeling that I needed to accomplish a certain goal. Now, when you're full-time, I will say you do need to get to the basics. I For me, it's weekly. So weekly, I need to hit a certain number on Amazon and I need to hit a certain number on eBay. I'm more careful about eBay because eBay, I feel like I have more control over, like as long as I'm listing and sourcing. As far as my sourcing, it talked about sourcing goal for Amazon. It's enough to send a several box shipment each week. And, and Amazon is such a beast like, you know, as long as the ranking is good and the competitors are at a decent level, you can constantly make sales. The thing you got to be careful about, again, is Amazon. So my goal weekly is send a few boxes in and also make enough to be able to pay the bills. That's why I'm never big on dropping numbers about this is how much money I made and this is how much I made in Q4. Because uh, ultimately, I'm not worried about that. I'm worried about the week to week because if I think macro for me, it becomes overwhelming, mm. at least at least for me. But that's just, again, to each their own, I guess. Yeah. So, all right. When you work on multiple platforms, this is for you, Mike, do you cross-post everything or just some items? Uh, just some items. Um, and you do Poshmark, right? You do cross- yeah, Poshmark. eBay and Poshmark. eBay and Poshmark. Yeah. Um, right now, because uh, I, I have not been able to do as well with sourcing, I haven't had time to... Um, go to as many thrift stores as I'd like. And I haven't been to um, as many garage sales because the weather has been not great here in San Diego. Um, so a lot of the things that were, would be just Poshmark, I've been also listing on eBay just to get that that constant, you know, get that algorithm going. Um, but but there's definitely Poshmark items and then there's Poshmark slash eBay and then there's just eBay, right? So um, I, I think knowing the platforms lets you know when you should be listing everything. I think the benefit of Poshmark is like I mentioned, there's no, there's no listing fee. There's never a listing fee and there's no store fee. So when you take those two things out, go crazy, right? Like list everything. Okay. Be a little bit more selective on eBay, especially if you're getting close to uh, maxing out your store or if you are, um, you know, dealing with listing fees over the course of a while, if it's not like a hot ticket item, but if you're on Mercari or you're on, a Craigslist offer up something where there's not a listing fee. I mean, it's not going to hurt. Go crazy. We wanted to take a quick moment to thank our sponsors for this episode. Dan, I have a little different perspective. So I don't cross post on Poshmark. I'm still, there's part of me that wants to do Poshmark. There's a part of me that goes, I need to just keep building eBay. But I use eBay and Bonanza. 
And Bonanza is easy for me because I just import every single listing. And I have gotten more Bonanza sales lately. I don't know if it's because we mentioned them on the podcast or on IG, but I've had a few more sales on there. But as far as, you know, you talk about, this relates, you talk about fees on eBay. I'm very big on, even if you get to the end of the month and you're going to be paying 10 cents per item or whatever the ongoing fee is based on your store, still relist items. And this is why I say this, is that all you need to do, think about it. You Let's say you have to list 20 items. Okay, now let's say, let's make it even bigger. Let's say you got to list, uh, what, what's 20 times 10 cents? Is it $2, right? Okay, so let's say you got to list 200 items, right? And it's going to cost you 10 cents a pop. That's $20, right? So you list those 200, out of those 200 items, let's say one or two of them sell, right? And you end up, you know, selling one for 30 and one for 50. You've already made that money back. If you hold back from using that listing, you won't get that sale. And so you don't know, I guess it's FOMO, <laughs> what you're missing out on. So I'm a big proponent. Like, for instance, I'm at, the, I'm at a place in my store where I'm at premium. I'm not an anchor. And I don't have enough listings to go anchor. So sometimes, you know, that's a, that's a $300, you know, fee each month. You know, sometimes I end up paying oh. like, you know, I end up paying $60 in fees because I got to relist a bunch of my items. But... Sometimes the items that I sell, I'll end up like making three or $400. And if I help back to save that change, think about it, it's change that you're talking about. You know, I would have missed out on those extra sales. That's true. I just, come on, eBay, that's messed up. I yeah. really do think, I, I think, think it's it more messed up as a promoted listings. I'm really more irked about the promoted No, I think listings. promoted listings are okay. I think that's, I think paying for extra is fine. I think... In today's day, I can't think of another platform besides Amazon where you have to pay storage fees, but they're giving you a service of, of they're literally oh, you have holding to pay a lot more than storage fees. No, I understand that. I understand that. But I don't know. I just think that that in in a world where every platform, I mean, heck, Craigslist, you put stuff up for free for the longest time is like I didn't even figure I didn't know how they were making money on Craigslist. Like what how do they how do they operate as a a website like have that? You, have you been to Craigslist website lately? It's not as bad as you make it it's out. It's the today. same thing that it was 20 years ago. And it's effective. Ago. It still uh, works. Now, no, Craigslist is pretty bad these days compared I mean, to offer up and let go. Okay, true, but same thing. So, it, it you're not paying these listing fees, right? Like when you're not paying a listing fee on Mercari, when you're not paying a listing fee on Poshmark, when you're not paying a listing fee on any other platform and you don't have to pay for a store. I don't know, it just doesn't I don't understand why eBay is is penalizing their sellers when they're making money off of the items we're selling anyways. I think it's a valid point. Okay. Well, we'll wait we got an eBay store question later on. So hold on. I feel like Mike just, you're not a fan of the eBay store. No, I, I think it's okay to talk about it now. Cause I don't think it's yeah, okay. necessarily. So one of the questions was, when do you get an eBay store? Right. What would you say? Financially when it makes sense. Right. So, okay. I think that's, I don't have the exact math in front of me, but so I don't know. So whatever it is, however much you're spending per, per listing, you get to a point where it's like, okay, having the eBay store is going to cover the cost of what all those listings would be. What's that, like a hundred items. So it depends on, on the subscription. Yeah. So I, I think, I think it's what 50 items, hundred items, somewhere around there is probably a good idea to say like, okay, get the store. So I think what I'm saying is different than the fact of that question. That question is when should you get a store? Well, in the current system, um, 
I don't know. It's it's probably when you get to like 50 to 100 items, you should probably be thinking like, okay, because eBay is ripping us, I'm really negative right now. Wow. Right? Do you have coffee in there? Do you need me to get you some coffee? No, I'm good. I got some diet, dude. That, that good, always man. brightens my day. No, it's, I think this is part of being real is, is when to get an eBay store. Well, it's okay. Financially, it probably makes sense around between 75, 100 items, somewhere around there to say, okay, this having the store is going to be cheaper than paying the listing fees. And for a long time, when I first started, I didn't pay any listing fees because I kept getting these promos that were like a thousand free listings for this month, mm-hmm. you know, and there haven't it, been as many of those lately. Yeah. I don't know if that was just <clears throat> because it was like, I was new or if they were giving that to everybody. Um, but so I didn't pay, but once I started to say like, Oh man, I'm paying more each month in listing fees than a store would cost. It just made sense to get the store and and you get a couple of benefits, but man, I don't feel like you get enough benefits for them to justify yeah, but charging I think, their seller. Okay, so I do think the eBay store, I think I think Amazon, not Amazon, I think eBay is valid in creating eBay stores. And I'm not getting paid by eBay, by the way. At least we're not yet, right? <laughs> One day we'll be sponsored. So I suggest getting a store. I told Mike, like when he's at about 50 items, Right, because you never know when you're going to get to that hundred. Because you do get initially, you get a hundred fixed price listings for free on the starter store, right? And so I'm at a premium, and I get a thousand. Now, again, I have you know a close to fifteen hundred. I'm going to have probably close to eighteen hundred in a couple of weeks if things go right. And for me, is I end up paying all the fees, but there's a few advantages to it. Like if you don't have a store, you can't run a sale. Right. If you don't have a store, you don't get all those same metrics. If you don't have a store, you don't get the free listings. If you don't have a store, you don't get that eBay uh, shipping supplies coupon. Right. So, you know, for the stores, you know, you're paying a different fee. So, you know, let's talk about, you know, the fee. So I'll talk about the premium store right now. So the fee for the premium store. Right. I end up paying. I'm trying to look at the fees here. Uh, Oh, man, I can't remember what I pay. Anyways, I know for the Anchor Store, let's go to Anchor Store, it's 300 right, a month. That's a lot. But you also get direct access to a different eBay call center. You need to get a hold of people. You get the $150 in supplies every single quarter, okay? You're able to run your sales. You're able to look at the metrics. Now, is there, should there be an in-between? That's where I think the problem is. I, I think the whole model, they're not going to change it because they're, they're making a ton of money off of it. But why isn't, why isn't all of those things just offered for you being a seller? Like, okay, not the eBay, the, the coupon for shipping supplies. I get that. But if you're paying $300 a month, but you get $150 coupon in a, in a, in a quarter, well, that's not, that's not a great deal. Just not like, like there's no reason that you shouldn't just be able to, to go on vacation without having to pay eBay to do that. There's no reason you shouldn't be able to, to have metrics without having to pay for it. That's, that's all I'm saying is, is they're already getting 10% of every single sale, right? Yeah. Or more if it's promoted. Right. Okay. So you kind of swaying me a little bit. I, I do, I, I will say I have a problem with the upfront cost to list. That's where my problem is because, you know, if you look at it, if you don't have an eBay store, like, you know, or let's say you have an eBay store and you say you have the starter store, right? And you run out of your first 100, then for fixed price, you have to pay 30 cents. Yep. 
right? After that, right? Now I have the premium store, so I only pay 10 cents. Now in the end, it's a small amount to pay, but why couldn't I guess Well, you're saying 10 cents is a small amount to pay, but you paid 10 cents plus the pay the cost of the premium store. Correct. So imagine if that month you didn't have to pay anything, like every other platform. Maybe. I, I don't know. I don't know. All I know is right now, I can't do the things I want without having a store. So for, but, but why? Exactly. So, okay, they, so they're holding that over you. They're like, okay, you want to do these right. things, pay but it's for like, the store. But it's like Amazon. Okay. It's their, it's their sandbox. You got to play in it. So that's true. So, but I, that doesn't change the fact that. I feel like this is an outdated model. Okay. So maybe we need an eBay revolution. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, the only way things are going to change is if people are willing to say, you know, on, mass, on a mass scale, well, I don't know if we're even going this far, but on a mass scale saying we're just not going to get an eBay store. That's not going to happen yeah, because they want I mean. to sell. Now, I, I, I could be wrong. Like, I, I, I admit, like, maybe I don't understand the, the economics of this completely. And maybe that if they were to open the floodgates and say, like, hey, we're going to, you just, there's no listing costs, like list as much as you want um, that, I don't know, maybe eBay gets flooded with like fake stuff and it ends up becoming an issue or like, so maybe that's their way of, of, of ensuring, well, not just gating people, but I guess in a sense, yeah, kind of like quality control, like, right. Like people know what they're buying on eBay because people pay for a store, but I don't know. I just feel like I don't really hear like people complaining about other platforms being full of junk or like, I don't know. I just... It seems like eBay is is in a place where because like we've talked about they're kind of a a cultural um, phenomenon. They're 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 norm. We all understand who they are, and and they're not really going anywhere. That they can kind of say like, well, this is our model. I mean, they've changed their model. It used to be you paid per picture, right? Oh yeah, I remember that. Those were terrible days. Right. So at least at least they've moved past that. But I kind of feel like they're still holding on to this idea of like pay like like penny saver. You paid to put your, your ad out or in the newspaper, you'd pay to put your ad out. Craigslist changed that. Hey, do it for free. I didn't hear people complain of like, Oh, well, that I love when everything. Mike brings up the penny saver. <laughs> hey, that was my favorite thing to get in the, in the mail, man. I loved it. All right. So yeah. Th- and that's what I, I was saying. Like I, that- I agree with you. I agree with you, but let's, so I agree. I think the model of having to pay up front for listings, it's just a bad model, especially the way that everything now is you pay on the back end when you make that sale, which to me, it makes sense. Right. So maybe there are ways that they're trying to gate things or protect the brand and whatever it is. But going back to the question, when should you get an eBay store? I still think when you're at 50 plus items, it's a good idea. So then you could do all that you can do promotions manager. You could do promoted listings. You know, you have different ways that you can optimize uh, your sales that you can't do if you don't have a store now. There are some big time resellers out there, YouTubers that I know that don't have stores, hmm. right? So it's working for them. So I'm not saying it's the end all, right? And I'm sure one of those YouTubers right now is listening to us and they're like, yeah, Orlando, I haven't had a store for years. I'm doing really well. And I agree. I can't, I can't disagree with you. Like if it works for you, it works for you. It, just for me, I do like the access to the different tools. Yeah, no, I think tools are good. I think that's one of the reasons I wanted to bring up that venting before we even got to that question is I didn't want to, I, I wanted there to be a distinction between the idea of when should you get a store? Well, the current eBay model, it's definitely financially when it makes sense when you're paying more for fees than your than the store would cost. But I think the separate issue is, man, why do they even have the stores? See, and this is why I appreciate Mike. It's refreshing to have Mike on the podcast. I mean, we're this is 
because I got a cool hairdo. That dude, that too. But, <laughs> but you know, we've always said like there are things in, as an experienced reseller that I kind of just get used to. And Mike brings a fresh set of eyes and goes, wait a second, why, why does eBay do this? Mm. Right. And where I'm just kind of like, I guess that's the way it is. And we'll just roll with it. And sometimes you got to do that. Like sometimes that's just the way it is. So, all right. I, I, I like our interaction on this podcast. It's very different. There we go. But it's good. All right. When you uh, do inventory, do you have a system or a program? Yeah. Google Sheets. Google Sheets? Yep. So tell me a little bit about your Google Sheets. It's awesome. It's free. Google. Use it. Okay. Okay. So this is kind of a vague question. There's some people that do really well with spreadsheets. I'm not a spreadsheet kind of guy. I probably need to be, or I might hire out somebody to do it. But the one thing that has helped me do inventory really well is a custom SKU label. Are you using that at all? Yep. Okay. And so the custom SKU label, when you do your listing, there's a space that's custom SKU label, and you can put whatever info you want on there. So for me, I put the letter of where my item is stored, and it, you know, and if I want to put more info, I put more info. What some people do, which I think is great, is they put the letter, and then they have a letter to like reference where they sourced it from. Then they have like the date, and then they have the price all in that label. Yeah, I think that's great. I think using uh, that's what I'm doing now with with custom SKUs. Um, but I do think that that only that helps with the inventory side of it. Like, um, where is this item at when it sells? Okay. How much did I buy it for? But I think at the end of the day, when you're trying to figure out what was my gross income, what was my net income, um, you have to be able to look at your sales for the month. How much was the cost of inventory? What was the cost of 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 the listing fees or shipping and all of these extra costs that the that are I'm sorry the PayPal fee all of these fees have to be calculated into okay what was my actual net take home because you might look at your sixty day total and say like wow I'm at a good number yeah, but know, right? but if if seventy percent of that is fees and shipping and cost of inventory well the only way you're going to know those numbers is if you're keeping um, some kind of records whether it's um, you know, uh, an Excel or Google Sheets or something like that. So I do think that if you want to take your game to the next level, use some kind of uh, of accounting or bookkeeping. Uh, my wife likes to actually handwrite in in like a a ledger book that information, and then I just go on and put it onto the computer because I like I like being able to make like pie charts and graphs and and pivot tables and see like okay, well. How much should we make off of this? What, what, how much are we averaging on shoes, right? Like, I don't know. I just like that information. No, but that's great. So kind of like what Mike does, I do. And I'll go to another question because it kind of relates to it. Because somebody had asked, you know, uh, how do you end up, you know, organizing, you know, how much you paid for cost of goods and, and you know, where you got it from and all that. And so the resource I can use is I can use GoDaddy Bookkeeping. Mm. And I love GoDaddy Bookkeeping for a few reasons. There's some things that they can work on, but... One, I'm able to integrate my Amazon and my eBay and my business cards, right? So I have cards that I strictly use just for eBay and Amazon. I don't use any other cards. So I keep my account separate. And we kind of talked about that a few podcasts ago. And GoDaddy Bookkeeping allows you, like, you can you can put it under cost of goods. You can put it under supplies. You can put it under shipping. I mean, you could, there's, you know, all kinds. You can also track your mileage on there. So it doesn't track it, but you can enter how many miles you drove in a day, you know, where you went and so on. And so it gives you this whole printout and you have a schedule C by the end of the year, if you do it right, or, you know, 
in January when you're trying to wrap up everything mm. that you could submit to your tax professional, uh, which helps you with all that. But what it does too, it allows you to do the charts and the graphs. Mm. So you could see, you know, how much, you know, did I make in January? How much did I make on eBay? How much did I make on this item? How much did I, you know, and so on. So I really like GoDaddy bookkeeping. To me, it was a game changer because it's one of those things that it has an app that works with it. You can enter the info whenever you want. You can put pictures. It's kind of like QuickBooks is another thing that people can use. But why I like GoDaddy bookkeeping is that it's all integrated. And I like things that I don't have to think about. You know, so for instance, when I'm making a purchase, you know, at let's say the Salvation Army, I can set it up where anytime I buy from the Salvation Army, automatically those debits or those credits go right to the cost of goods category. If I ever go to UPS or I go to U-Haul, right, that'll go to my supplies category mm. automatically. Yeah, another good program for that that's free is called Mint. Um, so it's another one to, to consider. And GoDaddy's not free. There is a yearly fee. No. So Mint is one that that that's pretty good for keeping a budget. You can use it per, you know, for your personal life and 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 if you you know got a business card, you can keep track that way. But it will it will do the same thing. It it does a pretty good job. It's it's user interface. Um, the only thing AI. it doesn't do is it doesn't integrate eBay and Amazon. Doesn't do that. Okay, so that's why I'm very big on GoDaddy because I'm able to get all that information. Like it's just crazy how it breaks down all the shipping fees mm. on both Amazon and eBay. All the sales, all, it goes, when you got to do sales tax, and we'll talk about that later, it breaks it down per state where your sales happen. Nice. So it's really good. So I, you know, that's, to me, that is the best program out there. I know some people use QuickBooks. That's another great program. I just, I've been doing GoDaddy for a while and it's worked well for me. Cool. So, all right. So <laughs> I love this next question. What is the difference between an $8 Disney video and a $5,000 Disney video? Drugs. He already went to drugs. Like, I, we don't know. No, well, we know. Well, it's 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 money laundering. Okay. Well, but we don't know. No. Mm -hmm. I know it's money laundering. All right. So, to give give you some quick background, okay? The quick background is this: is that these VHS supposedly were black diamond VHS, something to do with Walt Disney, something to make it special. But the reality is, no. <laughs> That's they're everywhere. True. There's black diamonds everywhere. Yeah, they're everywhere. So there is another reason people are making those purchases. And you don't know. Like, here's the thing with eBay. You can check people's items for sale and go to solds, and it'll show you that something's sold. But you don't know if that sale was ever paid for. You don't know if that sale was returned. There's, there's so many variables. Like, you don't know why. Yeah. They and, could have sold something else. And money laundering. And there could be yeah, money Yeah, it's money laundering or it's, or it's black market, right? Like, they... You know, I mean, it's, it's, hey, if I want to sell something illegal, but I want to, I want to do it through a channel where I'm guaranteed to get money, right? Correct. Correct. Then, hey, you buy my whatever item for $5,000 and what I actually ship you in the mail or hand you and, you know, the, not me, but you, you know, yeah. is going to be something that's, that's a little bit shadier, but hey, here's your, uh, here's your black diamond VHS or whatever the, the key secret thing is, uh, you know, and you because you can pass anything off as a collectible. Hey, in a, in, on a platform where you can buy a jar with somebody's breath for thousands <laughs> of dollars, um, you know, no one's going to question, you know, what you're selling and why, especially if it's collectible. I mean, who's going to question what you spend money on as a hobby? So uh, that's what I think is happening. No, and that could very much well be. What we want to say is, wow, it got louder. Because you, you actually got close to the mic. Okay. What I want to... <laughs> 
<laughs> Mike always gets on me about this. So what I want to say is there is, to our knowledge, no such thing as VHS Disney tapes that are special that go for several thousand dollars. Now, there may be a limited edition out there that we don't know about or. Oh, yeah. There's like there's like misprint um, things like that or, or very specific covers on or certain movies that were like banned by Disney or mm-hmm. like taken off their list. And if you find them, you know, you can make money. There's things like that. But as far as, you know, the black diamond and all that, that's not real. Yeah. So unless you're unless you're money laundering or selling uh, illegal items through the black market, um, you're, you're probably not selling black diamond VHSs. Correct. All right. So that I just that was I always love this. It's like Beanie Babies. You know, like how come there's thousand dollar Beanie Babies listed? Well, they may be listed, but the solds don't show that at all. Well, there's also there's also um, I mean, there there might have been a handful of people who actually paid that amount of money for a black diamond VHS thinking they were getting something really rare because of hype. Terrible for those people. Because of hype, right? Like all of a sudden there's a news thing or somebody sees like, oh, my gosh, these are going for this much. Like I'm a Disney collector. I need it before they even do any research about like what it is, you know? So I'm sure there's a certain amount of hype. Like wasn't there some famous um, example of that with like flowers being traded in as an economy and then like that crashed? Oh, the the. Oh, maybe I'm thinking about historically, like yeah. about tulips back. Yeah, in the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, you're talking about that, right? Like back in the I forget what reign, but it was somewhere post Middle Ages, and like tulips were worth more than gold at a certain mm-hmm. point in time, and it's because hype. Oh, we're getting historical here. Yeah. And it wasn't even real, but like that's kind of how those things happen. Is is people people value things too highly, and then it turns out that hey, it's not actually worth that. That's true. Tickle my Elmo fingerlings. Anyways, okay, yeah. moving on from there. All right, somebody, this is a quick question. Somebody said, what type of bo- Home Depot boxes you use for FBA? I actually don't use Home Depot boxes. I use U-Haul boxes, and my favorite one is the 24 by 18 by 24. The reason being, it allows me to put the bigger items in there without having to Frankenstein a box. Mm. So it's, it's you know, it's a, you pay up a little more, but there's sturdy boxes. I've never had an issue with the shipment, so that's what I use. And we're not sponsored by, by U-Haul. But if you're listening, U-Haul, you know where we're at. Yeah. So, all right, FBA returns. Well, I'm just going to go lightning on a couple of these. FBA returns, who takes a loss and do you get your item back? FBA returns, you always take the loss. It's one of the risks of Amazon. It's People will return things and for no reason at all. And you notice this as a consumer. Have you ever returned something and been tempted to just make it defective so you don't have to pay the return shipping? If it's not a defective item, yeah. Have I been tempted? I don't know. Maybe I don't. I don't think I've done it though. Okay, so on Amazon, as long as you put defective, it's always free return shipping. Oh man, that's so that's I a get bummer. stuff all the time that people hit defective, and I get it, and it's totally fine. Mm. Like they didn't even open it. They just buyer's remorse. Buyer's remorse, whatever it is. And so yes, you always get charged. You know the fees and everything. It's it's part of the risk of Amazon. It's just the way it is. Do you get the item back? Yes. If it's damaged, it becomes unfillable, and so you can either get it, dis, you know, disposed of by Amazon. And so what they'll do, they'll destroy, quote unquote. Usually goes to like those Amazon liquidation packets, mm. or you get it returned to you. And and what I'll do is I'll sell it on eBay. But I hate saying this: you're just you're out of that money. There's there's really Bummer, nothing more dude. you can do. That's one of the risks of Amazon. Yeah. So, all right. So. Talk about sales tax. Are you a little worried about sales tax? Sales tax, yeah. 
I don't like I don't like the whole new thing with states charging individual sales tax. Yeah, but at least here's the positive side. At least some states have made a threshold. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah. Like you have to have a hundred thousand sales. Now, eBay has said we'll take care of it. Don't worry about the sales tax. Uh Etsy does that too. Uh Amazon t- does that too. But like I know in California, as part of my reseller's license, like I have to pay a certain amount of sales tax. Mm. And so what I do is I go to GoDaddy Bookkeeping, I find all my eBay sales, and I always charge buyers the sales tax. I charge them, I forget what it was, 7.5 or 8% uh, fee, and all that money I kind of keep to the side. And in January, I end up paying to the state. Is that only the items that sell, sell to California? Yes, to somebody in California. Okay. So only in California. Now it depends on what state you're in. So you got to look at your state laws and so on. But again... Talk to a tax professional or a CPA. There you go. So that leads to our next question. So your taxes, do you do your own taxes right now? I, I always have. Um, my wife was um, an independent contractor for a long time, so she was self-employed, and, and, and we did our own taxes then too. It was a lot of work and a lot of stress, and we used um, like TurboTax, like the highest version you can purchase, and okay. it was actually really helpful. Like it would go step by step, like – what kind of vehicle do you use? What are the mileages that you use? What about phones? Did you like, they'll ask every question you can think of of things you could write off and what, and they give you explanations. Um, now I think as things get more complicated, it might be worthwhile going to somebody. Okay. And for me, I did TurboTax my first few years. Let's say I've been really doing reselling for five years. So my first three years I did TurboTax and each year I ended up getting a letter months later that I calculated something wrong. Mm. So one year it was thirteen hundred dollars that I had to pay, Ooh. like in July. This last time it was two eighty for federal, and it was like one twenty state or something like that. Really, I've never had that problem. Usually, TurboTax does a good job of, of checking. It might be operator but... error. Yeah. What, what <laughs> buttons are you clicking? But you know, our recommendation, and this is what I'm doing this year, is go to a tax professional. And if you're really scaling your business, I'm always, you know, I always know of people that, you know, you got to listen to what the big timers are doing, right? And if they're not trying to sell you on it, like sell you a course, but they're just saying, hey, this is the business I run. This is what I do. It's worth paying attention to. Agreed. And I've had a lot of people, you know, shoot me DMs like, Orlando, you need to get a CPA now that you're full time. Mm. And I maybe I have a tax preparer that I've worked with the last few years and and it's been outside of TurboTax. Mm. So I want to say the last couple of years. And, you know, did I, oh yes, but that was my problem. Mm. Like I didn't, I forgot to put a deduction in mm. or I forgot to do something. And we have a very thorough process. So with tax, you know, people ask us tax questions in January all the time. Do you, have you seen those in the DMs? Yep. Yep. And we're always like, go to a tax professional every single time. So, all right, meet up. Are we doing a meetup? Yeah, let's do it, man. Okay. So here's our thoughts. We want to do a meetup in March. So it's around the time of eBay open, registration opening. So we kind of want to meet with people, hoping that we'll see you again at eBay open. Uh, and we don't, you know, Mike and I have big dreams as to what we want to do a meetup, when we want to do a meetup and how we want to do it. So this is going to be more of a casual meetup. Hmm. So we're trying to find a location in between San Diego and LA where, you know, if people from the Bay area want to come down or if you're in either location, you want to meet up, but it's just going to be super informal. 
you'll come in, you know, you buy your own food, you buy your own drinks, we'll set aside a part of the restaurant or the location, and it'll just be a time for us to network. Yeah. Hey, in time, though, we want to make bigger meetups where, you know, we kind of have, you know, like a workshop and we have a time for people to kind of, if you're a reseller that sells less than a thousand, you can connect with a bunch of other resellers. If you're a reseller that does Amazon and eBay, you can connect with them. If you're a Poshmark and eBay person, you can connect with them. Yeah, it's kind of like breakout sessions and things like that. So that's definitely um, down the road, but we're really big on not doing something poorly, right? Like we want to yeah, do everything 100%. we do well, right? So um, we don't want to, uh, we know that that we want to meet with you guys and there's just not enough time for us to do this thing, this big thing, right? Uh, so it's better just to, just to, let's just hang out. Let's have, let's grab some food and let's, let's just, uh, just meet. Let's just talk. Let's, uh, let's do our thing. Yeah. So stay tuned because you know, the bigger ones, we're probably gonna have to charge a fee, right? Because we're gonna have to reserve a place. And, you know, and usually when it gets into the bigger, you know, kind of venues, you have to pay for catering and all those things. So that's coming down the road, probably after eBay open. Yeah. Or next year. Or next year or something like that. But Mike right now is like, I need to do more sourcing. I got to do more listing. I've been super busy with the podcast too. So I get it, Mike. I get it. But we want to do a casual one come March. So stay tuned, you know, on our IG, on our podcast, we'll talk about it. And details will be coming soon in the next few weeks. Yeah. So there we go. We've said it. It's March. It's happening now. All right. Um. So, oh, this is employee pay or helper pay, or whatever you want to call it. Somebody asked, you know, what do you pay for a helper? And, and this is what I'll say. I'm going to be very general. It depends on your state. You know, so here in California, you know, minimum wage keeps going higher and higher. And so I'm always a fan of, there's two ways to do it. Thank you, Michael. Appreciate it. You're welcome. If you know someone and they can, you can vouch for them or other people can vouch for them, that's the best way to get somebody to help you. And for me, it's you trust that what that they're not going to steal from you, that they're going to work hard, they're going to be consistent. I think hourly pay is the way to go. Mm. If somebody that you really don't know and you don't really understand their, how productive they'll be, then I think you got to go per item because mm. then you can actually measure it. You can pay them what it was worth. And that that's just my thoughts on that. As far as how much you pay them hourly, you got to decide, you know, based on what the state has decided for minimum wage and how much above you want to go. I'm a fan of the Costco model. You know what the Costco model is? I think I know where you're going with it, but I'd like to hear what you... Well, let me hear it. Let me hear what you got to say. Well, uh, so I'm assuming this is pay, pay your employees more, pay them well, uh, so they feel valued and you're able to hire and retain the best working people. Uh -huh. You don't have the turnover issue. You don't have people who are not being productive. If people don't feel valued um, or if they're not being paid well or in their bad working conditions, then they're just not going to, they might be at the place of employment for eight hours and they might be giving you 30 minutes of actual work. 100%. Right. Whereas if you pay them a little bit more, you might be getting six to eight hours of actual work. And that's, that's significant. Yeah. And I'm not saying be outrageous. Like there's a, there's a documentary years ago uh, about teachers called waiting for Superman. Do you mm. remember that documentary? Uh, absolutely. And yeah. teachers were getting paid like a hundred thousand a year, but you know what? It didn't produce better teachers. It, it just, it was, it led a court. This is the follow reports and I could be wrong, but it led to a feeling of entitlement 
because they're making that amount. Now, if you pay, I think, something that's reasonable and a little bit more, right, and it gives people a reason to stay, to be loyal to you, to be consistent, but they also got to know, hey, if I want to get to the next level, if I want to make more, I got to be consistent in my work ethic. Yeah, I think I think there's other elements. Um, we don't need to get into it on the on the teacher pay thing. I think there's other elements that are at play there besides just pay that are involved with with why you're not getting better better working people. But I, you do see in other countries where um, where teachers are treated more like professionals. They have more opportunities. They have more flexibility, and and they're 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 treated. Um, their time is valued by their you know that it's significantly better output. No, I agree. Like my helper, she's incredible, but you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not a taskmaster. I'm not like, Hey, I need this all done within four or five days. It's kind of, mm. Hey, get to it when you can. But my expectation is, you know, that hopefully, you know, what I'm dropping off will, will be done in a decent amount of time. And I've never had an issue where like things weren't being done or <laughs> sometimes she'll see an item. She goes, wow, these are really awesome. And, you know, if it's good enough, I've just said, you know what? You can have it, mm. right? Kind of like a bonus because I appreciate all the work you've done. And so at the same time, you know, they're not going, oh, maybe I need to go into my own eBay business, mm. right? And if they do, more power to them, you know? But that's just our thoughts on that. I've had a great experience so far. I'm going into week, not week, month number five, and I haven't had an issue. And I use Inkfrog, and it's been great. Nice. So that's where I'm at. All right. Let's get into some interesting questions here. Is there more diamond to do or coffee drunk or drank during the podcast? Okay. I think we need to clarify something here. Okay. I think the real question isn't volume of liquid that is being consumed as much as amount of caffeine. And I think I win. I think in a day I, I probably consume far more caffeine than you do. I don't know. I down more than two liter of diet do. I know I'm going to get a lot of serious I, I literally take caffeine pills throughout the day on top of drinking coffee. I don't, I don't think this was conf confession time right now. I'm, I'm just saying like if, if the question, like if, if it's, you know, you see the coffee, you see the diet mountain too, we're drinking this. You know, we're going to get a lot of DMs and comments, right? That's right okay. Well, I mean, part of it is, is when we record most of the time, these episodes are being recorded well into the evening. We're talking, no, like, no, no, we're, yeah. we're getting close to midnight or past midnight um, while we're recording. So, um, and that's on top of me getting up at three thirty to three forty-five. You getting up early, uh, working a <laughs> full-time early, working a full-time job, going out and so, right. So, like, man, you gotta you gotta do what you gotta do to keep going. No, I agree, I, and and that's that's my thing. Die die Mountain Dew is my caffeine. So, you can tell right by this cup, like how much I'm drinking. Episode. I don't drink a lot. Yeah, it's impressive, actually. I would have expected more to be. I think the smaller um, cup forced me to preserve the Diet Mountain Dew. Ah, that works. That's a thing. Portion control, yeah, man. Mike, Mike did that on purpose. But, <laughs> uh, you know, I don't know. I, I will say it keeps us awake. I, I will. That's one of the mechanisms that we, one of the things we get out of this is it gives us the energy. Because, yeah, we've had a long day and we want to record these podcasts and bring you value. And so we want to be alert. Yeah. So I think you went on volume. I went on amount of caffeine. Um, and... Uh, yeah, there we go. Okay. All right. We are almost down. We are down to our last question. But before we get to it, if you haven't had it, had it, uh, excuse me, have you had a chance yet? Have you have a, 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 have a
If you go to our podcast, you know, make sure if you haven't had a chance and if you're enjoying our podcast, write us a review. We always love having good reviews on there, uh, on iTunes, on Spotify, wherever it may be, and share. There's always that share button. You know, if there's others you know that maybe would benefit from a few hundred dollars more a month by reselling and they can learn about that through our podcast, you know, share with them. Share the YouTube. And, and you know, again, we just want to get the information out there to help as many people as possible. So make sure to do that and make sure to subscribe. Maybe by the end of this podcast, we'll be at a thousand subscribers oh, on YouTube. That'd be awesome. So, I'd love to get there. I love those milestones, man. Just, it's awesome. Good. And again, thank you to all of you that have, you know, dropped a donation to help us with this podcast. We really appreciate it because again, Mike talks about the time that we spend. Uh, we're really thankful. So if you haven't had a chance, there's a link below. If you feel led to, that would be incredible. Yeah. I mean, got to keep these lights on you guys saw the one episode where we came in in the dark you know i don't i don't want to do that was a purpose know, that was a conspiracy episode i don't want to do a whole episode in the dark so no, no, we'll be okay so but we always are very thankful and appreciative again we will always have this information out there for free we will not charge to listen the last 20 minutes of our podcast or for you to get more information on our instagram we love what we do and we want to keep doing it. So, so if you'd like to hear the last question, you're just going to have to pay for oh, a membership. That, no, I'm just kidding. Oh, nice. That would be so scabby right now. <laughs> so, and the last question, I, I like our last question. How did you start reselling? Mm. So do you want to go first, Mike? We kind of talked about this in podcast one or two. So just give us a quick summary. Um. Man, honestly, it, you know, you you inspired me. It's something I've always wanted to do. Um, it's something I've always thought would be, you know, fun. I saw other people reselling stuff on eBay. I've always been kind of a, a collector of things or like unique and weird things. So it's just a natural fit. Um, and and I knew it was something you were good at, you were passionate at. And, um, and I think, I, so I had an interest with that. And my other big passion and interest is uh, technology, videos, audio. And so I approached you with this idea of like, hey, you know this thing really well. Like I know well, technology, kind of. you know. Um, what if we did a podcast? And and so I don't know anything about reselling, but maybe, you know, like you could teach me and this could be a thing. And so it honestly, it was, I remember I asked Orlando, I said, like, would it be possible for me to make over the summer? Because, you know, being a teacher, I get the summer off. Like, like 300 bucks? Like, like I could, could, could I make like three? Could I make like... Like maybe, maybe like 600. Cause like, like if I can get 300, I think I'd be pretty much good. But like, if I can get like to six, if I can get somewhere around there, like, I think I could buy the drone that I want to buy for my videography. Right. And you're like, oh yeah, you could do that. No problem. And so that was like, I was so short-sighted. Like if I can just get to like three, four, maybe $600 in the summer doing this reselling thing. Oh, it's going to be amazing. And I, went well beyond that and still haven't bought the drone because I just keep buying more inventory. And that's, that's been, uh, that it's He's become hooked. a new, yeah, I got hooked. So what about it, you? it's been awesome. And Mike has started off really well. I will tell you, Mike, Mike will just keep getting better at it. So yeah, I hope so. So it's weird. Cause I have been reselling for years. I mean, I would say, you know, maybe two decades, but when it comes to like really being serious, you know, that really didn't start happening until five years ago. Mm. And and there was kind of like a lead-in, and then there was when it finally happened. So the lead-in was I had a summer where, you know, as teachers, you only get paid 10 months a year. Mm -hmm. It depends on your contract. Well, this contract was 10 months, so I had no way of paying the rent. But 
I kept going to like these AP teacher conferences and they're giving away textbooks. And so I went on Amazon, sold all those textbooks and paid my rent. Nice. And I was like, wow, this is pretty awesome. But it still didn't hit me that I could make money reselling. Mm. I mean, think about it. I paid my rent and I still didn't figure it out. So, and a lot of you have heard this, so just bear with me. This is, I think we talked about episode two or one or something, maybe three. It's kind of funny. So right about that time, five and maybe it's six years ago, I can't remember anymore. Me and a couple other buddies, one of them had done eBay back in the day. Another one did garage sailing and and we, you know, we really enjoyed storage wars and we enjoyed thrift hunters and all those shows. And we said, Hey, what if we started with $20 and with that $20, see how far we'll end up in a year. And the winner will take the other two to Fuga the Chow. You know what that is? Mm-mm. Like that steak, the Brazilian steakhouse. Mm, sounds good. And we still haven't gone though. <laughs> so I, you know, the first thing I bought was a stroller for, I think I paid $7 and I flipped it at a baby resale for 43 bucks. I'm like, wow, like you can make money. Mm. Then I bought like an old school um, torch and it was like, old. and I only made like 10 bucks on it. But then I bought a Hawaiian shirt and then I bought this. And I remember being at McDonald's one day, all three of us, we would meet weekly at night and just talk about stuff. And, you know, we're seeing how we're all doing. And one of them goes, hey, Orlando, so how many items you got on eBay? And I go, I have 43 they're like, what? You have 43 items. And it was at that moment it hit me that I actually was taking off. Like I was mm-hmm. beginning to have, you know, I didn't have a sale every day, but I had a sale every week. And then I began to notice the profit margins over time. Mm-hmm. And so I started hitting eBay really hard for, I want to say, three or four years while I was still, you know, I, I had gone into administration. And then... I want to say at the same time, I was also starting to do dabble a little bit with Amazon FBA. And then I noticed the velocity of sales that you can get on Amazon FBA. So I started building that foundation where eventually, you know, I got to a place that I could go full time. Mm. So I know I left a lot of details. You want to hear more? It's on episode one or two, but I still meet with those two other guys every once in a while. And we shoot the breeze and I'll still, you'll see me go to garage. sale with this guy named Kyle and my other friend, Mike and, and it's just awesome because from that $20, I went from kind of doing it on the side to actually making it a business. And I, I think I won that contest. Yeah. So so do you owe them dinner or do they owe you I dinner? I owe them dinner. We didn't oh. want to make it the other way. We want wanted to celebrate the good. Oh, interesting. So that's how we decided to do it. So, hey, thank you all for, you know, going through all these questions with us. Yeah, yeah. And like we said, if if, if we didn't answer something that you have a question about... Uh, you've got two options. Option one, hit us up, right? Like we're always here. We have, if it's not us answering it, man, the community is amazing, right? You put something in the comments, you're going to get a lot of people who Correct. are going to give you some advice. So uh, that's option one. Uh, option two is, man, Google's awesome. Yeah, Google is awesome. I will I will say, and here's the thing. I've noticed, uh, can I bring up Gary Vee? I haven't brought up Gary Vee in a long time. It's been like a week, man. You're having Gary no, no, Vee no, withdrawals. I, I, Go for I, it. Listen, we're going to end up on his show. Gary Vee, if you're listening, we're coming. So he he said something at one point that stuck with me. He said, if you can't if you can't Google things, you shouldn't be in this business. And I think the same is true of reselling. Like if you're always looking to get answers from somebody else, you're gonna be in a bad place. There mm-hmm. comes a time in reselling where you gotta be able to figure things out, do some trial and error, Google, 
and eventually find out what works for you. Right. And, and Mike has done that. Like rarely do I ever hear from Mike every once in a while I'll get a text or I'll notice, you know, like this last week I found that listing and I'm like, Hey Mike, you should think about this. Mm. And he's like, Oh, Hey, thanks for looking out. Right. But ultimately Mike has owned his own reselling game. And so that is the way you'll, and some of these questions could have been figured out by Googling, but you know, we're here for you. And that that's exactly what Mike has said. Shoot us a DM, put in the comments, maybe the community will answer, maybe we'll answer. But and the cool thing is maybe some of these questions and people Google, they'll find our podcast and, and Googling the questions will lead you to the answer. Which, and maybe you'll get a better answer. <laughs> well, no, I'm saying like it might be us, right? Like they might find episode 34 of PRSL Podcast when I, they, that, that would when be they awesome. look up one of these questions. I don't think we're there yet, but that would be great. So, but, it, but again, hey, if there's anything you're like, you know, you guys are a little off on, here's our thoughts, you know, feel free to leave in the comments below on the YouTube or shoot us a DM or an email. And again, you know, we're going through this journey with all of you and hoping that our journey will take us to, you know, greater heights and, you know, better business. Did you like how I ended that? It sounded so cheesy. I know. But we're going to take off to greater heights. Okay, I'm at no. Make sure you're being real. Be relevant. And be reselling. Peace. Peace.